Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.Care. Huddle is an online mental health club. We offer additional education about mental health through our weekly newsletter. We provide support for your mental health through our community time and our altruism club, which is like a book club for your mental health. We teach new ways of relating to your anxiety and OCD through our skills groups and our individual out-of-network psychotherapy. We strive to meet you where you are in your mental health journey and provide what you need. Okay, now enjoy the episode. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry. Huddle.Care is growing. If you are a licensed mental health professional in any state and you're interested in joining my team to run individual sessions or group sessions, please email me at team at huddle.care and I'll send you some more information. Thanks. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. This is my third session here with Catherine. And this month we've been talking about intolerance of uncertainty. So intolerance of of uncertainty uh, underlies all anxiety disorders and OCD. It's a common mechanism that can create anticipatory anxiety, procrastination, perfectionism and procrastination. And so in the last couple of sessions, we've talked a lot about perfectionism and procrastination as it related to Catherine's career, studying for the GMAT, and even doing makeup in um, everyday life. Um, in our last group session, we talked about intentional practice. And intentional practice would be to say, I know that I have difficulty tolerating uncertainty, so I'm gonna find a, th- um, a part of my life that triggers the feeling of uncertainty and notice what thoughts I'm having, what sensations I'm having, what feelings I'm having, and what my urge to act is. And then I'm gonna try to identify what my valued-based behavior would be based on um, what's flexible, um, what's effective, what helps me move forward. And so I'm gonna try to practice triggering myself on purpose Um, triggering those thoughts, feelings, and sensations, and then practicing the new non-anxiety-driven behavior. That's how we could frame up intentional practice. Um, So today we're going to talk about incidental practice. So incidental is when you're triggered in everyday life. Maybe you have some sense of um, what you're triggered by, but you're not so sure how it's going to play out in everyday life. Or sometimes the triggers are totally arbitrary, you're not ready for them necessarily, and you still have to find a way to relate to them effectively. Um, so Catherine, thank you for, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
Um, so I'm wondering first what your thoughts are when you think about the difference between intentional practice and incidental practice in everyday life. Well, the first thing that came to mind hearing you frame up incidental practice was that I am like constantly triggered <laughs> unintentionally. So yeah, I guess I guess my reaction is I remember the the process, the part of therapy with you where we talked about intentional triggers and um, knowing when I would be exposed to things. But the the reality is that like incidental triggers happen literally all the time, and I think it will be a probably lifelong practice for me to remind myself this is your anxiety talking because you really don't know when something's going to pop up that's going to trigger your anxiety. And how do you feel thinking about it as a lifelong process? Um, it's a, a little overwhelming and also um, this is probably a terrible thing to say. It's almost kind of comical. Like if, if uh, if I'm in the right mindset, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, like this is something I'm going to have to deal with regularly. And I do sometimes have, like when I'm in a good headspace, I find that I do have a kind of a comical reaction to being like, oh, this is just my anxiety talking. I, I, I'm not under like an actual threat. Um, but yeah, it is a little daunting to think that the rest of my life will probably go by having to um, deal with these sorts of triggers. Yeah, you know, fear and humor can't coexist. So the fact that you find it comical to me suggests that you have some distance from it. Like there's a there's a sense of your observing self that can see you getting anxious. Um, not you're not totally fused to the anxious content. Um, so that's really great. And it's likely that your content will change over time. So some people feel really demoralized by the reality that if they're born with a body that has anxiety sensitivity, that regardless of how much practice they put in, there's always a possibility that they're going to get resensitized and then feel anxious about something. Um, Claire Weeks, who is a pioneer in thinking about anxiety the way that we think about it now, said you never want to live such a charmed life that you never get resensitized which I really appreciate that if you take it in stride as like, if I'm doing challenging and uncertain things, then I'm likely to get resensitized and I'm likely to feel anxious again, then it can just be part of your journey and your growth. And if we compare it to exercise, one way to think about it also is that it doesn't, relating to anxiety well doesn't necessarily get easier, but you do get stronger. So you don't, just like if you're, um, building muscle or building endurance, you're still at, during exercise, you're still feeling all the physiology that would make an effort challenging. So it's not necessarily easier, but you're getting stronger, you're getting faster, um, you're hitting your goals in that sense. Um, so similarly, when you do something anxiety provoking, even if you have a lot of practice, you're going to get the whoosh, you're going to get all the physiology that comes with the anxious response. And so it's not necessarily going to be less painful, but the hope would be over time, you have some more self-awareness, you have greater perspective, and you don't suffer as much because you have a sense of what's occurring. Do you have any thoughts about that? That, that makes sense to me for sure. I think that I could think of, you know, plenty of experiences throughout my 20s that have been anxiety inducing, um, like studying, as we talked about last time, or work, or even dating, where um, throughout the process is, I, I, I'm still, you know, to this day hit with triggers of anxiety, but now that I'm able to kind of consciously evaluate and understand them in my mind, um, the like sensation's still there, but I can um, 
like soothe myself, I guess, in like a faster process than I would have before. Tell, can you tell me more about that process of being able to recognize what's happening and soothe yourself? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I guess it kind of depends on the specific example, but, and sometimes they're better than others, but, you know, in an ideal scenario, something that would happen that triggers me, um, I think then to myself, you know, this is just your anxiety talking, but it, like, for me, like, that is, like, the actual, like, moment where it flips, so if I catch it, that is my moment to actually action on it and change the path that my mind is going down and much faster change the process and change how the feelings in my body start to kind of dissipate. Um, if I don't catch it, that's where you go into like an actual anxious spiral. So if I'm able to say like, oh, wait, actually I've had this thought before and that's just my anxiety or say like, oh wait, the like sensations in my body right now I've experienced before and they're actually totally the same as when I have anxiety around this other topic. And then I'm able to be like, hey, actually this is just my anxiety talking. I am able then to get like a little bit of kind of comic relief like we were just talking about. And um, the sensations like physically sit in my body for a little bit, but I can feel them like actually start to dissipate, um, which is kind of cool to observe. Yeah, that's great. Um, can you tell me more about some of the incidental triggers? So you're saying, um, I'm, I really appreciate the process that you just described, um, but what would what would trigger you in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I feel like all sorts of incidental things happen all the time. Um, even like, I, actually something that I find happens often is a friend says something that happens to them. And then I immediately think like, what if that happens to me too? Or like, what if, what if that is also my experience right now? And it could be something totally ridiculous. Like my friend could say, I'm pregnant. And I could say to myself, what if I'm pregnant? Which is like, obviously they're not related to each other, but like my mind will immediately think like, that's not something that I want to happen to me right now. Oh shit, what if I'm pregnant? Um, or like, similarly, I've been finding that with COVID a lot too, where someone will mention um, they, you know, went somewhere and, turns out like the brother got exposed to COVID or something. And then I kind of immediately, I'm like, oh, maybe I've been like taking too many risky behaviors lately. What if I also got COVID? Um, so I actually would say like one of the biggest incidental triggers for me is just hearing someone else be worried or concerned about something and immediately assuming I could also have that same problem, even though logically I understand that I don't. Um, yes, that completely makes sense. It sounds like it's both, it seems like a threat to them that, and then becomes a threat to you and may also be a consequence of empathy. Like if you, because you're an empathic person, I wonder if you pick up on the feelings of anxiety that they're describing and then feel anxious in your body as well. Does that resonate at all? I think that's entirely possible. Um, the family system that I grew up in was such that I was kind of always feeling the sensations of other people around me. So I do feel like now as an adult, if I feel, you know, pregnancy is not a good example. Most of my friends have intentionally chosen to become pregnant and were happy about it. But um, for, you know, COVID or examples where people, you know, maybe someone tells me they got fired by their boss or something like that. I do like immediately feel like I adapt their um, emotional sensitivities and then I feel them my, on my own. 
and internalize them as if it's happening to me. And then I worry that it's happening to me. Okay. Yeah. That's a really great example of incidental um, exposure. So then what do you do now that you understand, you see that pattern? Um, for me, it is the, like that, that, that hook of like, this is just your anxiety talking is still the same, the same way that I get around it now. Um, like catching that is just the most important part for me. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other things that, um, yeah, like some of the other like self-talk, I guess, that I do is like, if someone says, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant and I think to myself, what if I'm pregnant? Um, this like sort of talk track that's just like, that's someone else's experience. Just because it's someone else's experience does not mean it's happening, happening to you. Um, one of the lines that I've been using actually a lot related to work and to daily incidental um, anxieties is just because I had the thought does not mean that it is happening or that it is true. And that is helpful because I have all sorts of thoughts that cause anxiety all the time. And so keeping in mind that thought does not equal reality has been helpful. Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm really happy to hear that. And I'm happy to hear that even though you have all kinds of anxious thoughts all the time, you don't sound demoralized by it. Do you want, I know we talked about that briefly a couple minutes ago, but do you want to expand on that at all? Um, how have you learned to accept? So it's one thing to accept anxiety in any given moment and see a thought as a thought, not a fact prediction or message and allow the sensations not as um, signals that you need to do anything, but rather just as sensations in your body. That is um, how I would frame up willing acceptance in any given moment. Um, but acceptance overall that you have anxiety sensitivity and the proclivity to get anxious can also be challenging. Can you, can you talk, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. I mean, I think that like acceptance of having it overall is, I, I think that that is still probably a work in progress. Like, I feel great about it right now, but I am, I guess I've become aware that your mind and your sensations and your, um, kind of disposition towards the world and even life events are really malleable. You're not on a straight line of life. And I very much had ups and downs and right now I'm pretty up. And so it is actually much easier for me to say, um, yeah, this is just something I'll deal with. It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. There are plenty of other things I could deal with. And this is a very common problem. And I now know the tools that I'll have to continue to work on it throughout my life. Um, it would be unfair, I think, to say that I'm always in that mindset because when I think about the ups and downs in life and, and know that I kind of am someone who has a roller coaster and that I do go into downs, it is definitely harder in those moments to deal with it. I think one thing though, that in the downs that is now different than was um, when I was back in college and first experiencing anxiety is that the the world itself has become much more accepting of the fact that mental health problems exist. Um, and I think we're seeing it more now with COVID where I'm seeing, you know, a lot of people be pretty forthright about the mental health problems they're having now. Um, and you're seeing a lot of people um, create tools and practices like you've stood up huddle 
um, that are really kind of making, um, I guess, kind of normalizing the experience of anxiety because it is incredibly common. So I have noticed in the downs, even though it is harder to be like, yeah, it's cool that I'll have to deal with this the rest of my life. I have been able to take a little more comfort in the fact that so many other women my age have the same experience. And because I've had um, so many cycles of the ups and downs now, I can at least recognize you're in a down period and you've gotten to an up before and you kind of just need to hang on a little bit longer until you start to like get out of this little trough that you're in. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. So you're, you're more aware that there's no thought, feeling, or sensation that's permanent. Like everything is temporary and it's going to change. Yes. And like I said, like when you're in the downs, like I think it is much harder to think that, but I have the awareness because I've been through the cycle enough to be like, okay, this is not going to last forever. It sucks. I might not feel as positive about it as I am speaking to you right now, but I am aware that it's not permanent. Yeah. So that really speaks to how intentional practice and incidental practice can work together from my perspective. So when you're just starting out in understanding your anxiety and you're getting educated about what's happening and trying to understand where it's playing out, that can be a really great time to do formal practice or intentional practice. Uh, You identify what's happening and then go seek it out on purpose. Um, And what you're doing there is bringing more awareness to your own process, but you're also developing efficacy around the moments that are hardest. And then really these have to happen in parallel because your anxiety disorder uh, exists within the context of your life. But theoretically, it would be doing intentional practice first and and incidental practice later. Um, And when you think about incidental practice, it's, I think about it as like, don't make it worse. So you set out to understand your, your, um, with intentional practice to kind of learn what's happening, what your options are and and what you can do to make yourself feel better, or at least to cope effectively. Um, And then when it pops up in everyday life, now's like game time, now's your opportunity to practice. And what you're mostly practicing is not doing things to make it worse. And things that make it worse are are typically avoidance behaviors of any kind, whether that's compulsions, neutralizing, suppression, getting reassurance. Um, And so the willing attitude of of acceptance is allowing the sensations to be there, allowing the thoughts to be there, not doing anything, again, that would make it worse. That's where the, the mindfulness practices are are relevant for both the intentional practice and the incidental practice because you're seeking to bring enough awareness to what's happening that you don't do something that's anxiety driven. Um, do you have any thoughts as I say, as I explain that? Yeah. I mean, the, the major thought that came back to mind was um, it does, it just takes a lot of work to not, not fuel the thought further. Like for me, my default is to keep playing out the thought and to um, get reassurance from someone, to get reassurance from a friend repeatedly, to get, um, to Google it and figure out, and I will go like very far down a rabbit hole to like make sure that I don't have something or understand if I do. Um, And it does definitely take work to be like, I'm fighting. it, I don't know if this is like psychologically correct, but it feels almost like an addiction in the sense that like, if you have 
um, an anxious thought and your immediate reaction is to change something in your life to like, um, um, what's like compulse around or um, Google or, you know, whatever, your mind like really, really, really wants to do it. And it's like fighting a pretty significant urge to not. And I think that's where for me being like, this is just your anxiety talking again and always labeling it that has been helpful as like the first thing to kind of cut off the spiral that occurs after that. Yeah, so that circles us all the way back to uncertainty. I think when what you're describing is the desire to get certainty when something uncertain pops up into your mind. And so if you can see that as just anxiety and not as a message or a threat, something that you have to act on, then the the degree of uncertainty that you feel over time should decrease. And again, you're not going to make it worse. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, why don't we end there? Catherine, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode, that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining huddle.care. Huddle is an online mental health club that strives to meet you where you are in your mental health journey. We have community time, altruism clubs, skills groups, and individual psychotherapy. Head to huddle.care to learn more. And don't forget to tell me what you're proud of whenever you can via email, my website, or on the social media channels. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.